shall wait. Joy to the Lord, all the earth, and worship the Lord with gladness. Come to Him singing with joy. Oh, and into His gates with thanksgiving, come to His courts with praise, oh, you guys get up on your feet, find somebody and tell them good morning.
shepherd king you lead us by still waters hallelujah you are savior you are my only hope your kindness is my friend and in your presence you restore to sing happy birthday to Chad. Is that okay? <laughs> happy birthday to you. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday, dear Chad. Happy birthday to you. Thank you, guys. Thank you. Sorry, Mark. How old are you, Chad? 29. <laughs> 29. He's such a liar. He is lying <laughs> right now, which is a good introduction to Carpenter's Way, the place of grace. How old are you for real, dude? 42. Wow. Wow. You're not taking very good care of yourself. <laughs> oh, come on. I'm just kidding. Look how handsome he is. You're adorable, dude. <laughs> uh, welcome to Carpenter's Way. We are, we are glad to have you here this morning, and uh, thanks for being here. Is this a gorgeous weekend or what? We had uh, a, a men, our annual men's picnic yesterday, and we had so much fun. It was, it was a blast, and man, the weather was beautiful. We were out on the Hicks Lake Ranch Farm. It was, uh, that's what I call it. But uh, it was so gorgeous, and uh, man, enjoy some of God's creation. It is, it is beautiful here in East Texas, and uh, be glad you're not on the lake with 750,000 fishermen who are all vying for a $300,000 purse this morning. Is it worth it? No. Oh, somebody said yes. Well, thanks for being here anyway. 
If you take your worship guide, open them. I want to highlight a few things. I do want to thank you for being here this morning. If you are watching on the internet, welcome to Carpenter's Way. We, we know there's a lot of you out there who log in each week, and, and, and you're, you're important to us. Uh, it is our presence on the internet and our, our internet campus, and thanks for being with us this morning. We are going to be in uh, the Gospels this morning. We're going to be in a bunch of texts, so uh, I was going to tell you which text, but we'll be all over the place. But uh, I, we're in, we're, right now we are in a study of who is this man? Who is Jesus? And I, I know that sounds like a common theme in the church, but we're really trying to puzzle together who does the Bible present Jesus Christ to be. And uh, so we're glad you're here to study that. Uh, it's going to be a good time in the Word today. I'd ask you to pray for me because it's a, it's a, it's a very direct text. So I'm, I'm looking forward to it. I'm excited about it. And uh, thanks for being with us. I know God called you. You are not watching or here in this room by accident. God has you here for a reason, and it's going to be a good morning in His Word together. So um, I want to take a moment and thank all. Uh, it takes a lot of people, believe it or not, to pull off Easter services uh, from Steve Hicks, who puts all the candles and, uh, on, and Javier on the stage for our candlelight service to my wife who puts music together on the candlelight service and then our, Christ, our Easter service day, the sketch, all the people in the sketch and Nancy Mize who writes those. I mean, they're all original and Christine is at her, is she is like, uh, the, actually, I'm, I'm not going to say that, I'll get in trouble. They work together very well. Uh, and, uh, and, 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 and pull that off. And, and I'm telling you, they've been practicing for a month and a half and put a ton of work into it. Chad and his team, as they prepare the music and oversee the whole thing. But it, it takes a lot of effort to encourage you and your families at Easter. And uh, I hope, I, I heard from a lot of people this week. Uh, classically, as Carpenter's Way, it's a little different, but it was, it was the truth. It was the truth. And the truth is that life happens, and if you know Jesus, you can trust him. And, uh, and if, if you have accepted his gift of offer to forgive your sin, and you may be watching today and you were here last week, or you may be visiting with us because you were here last week, we're glad you're back. We do this every Sunday, um, somewhere between 9.30 and 9.45. It's supposed to be at 9.30, but that's an East Texas thing. So, But uh, anyway, thank you all. And I, you'll notice in there a thank you. And, and, and we wanted to put everybody's name, but it would have filled in the middle. While, while we were having Easter service, Last Sunday, the preschool department was doing Easter stations, and it's not five different colors of eggs. It's about the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And Alicia and her team, and Casey, they, they are teaching your kids. It is, it is, theoretically, it is our goal that if your child grows up at Carpenter's Way from infancy through, by the time they get into our senior, junior and senior high ministry, they will have been through the Bible once. That is a remarkable thing, and they are intentional about it and do a great job. And that didn't end last Sunday. Last Sunday, there was a group of our folks that were out there doing that with our preschoolers. And I know you're wondering um, about how do you teach a, a preschooler about the crucifixion and the resurrection. You may want to join their team because that's a secret we're not going to tell you. But anyway, um, and thank you for bringing people. We were packed. We had uh, over 700 folks here last week, and, uh, you know, we, we're still not going to do two services next week. We're going to pile them in here because uh, we need to be together. That's our celebration. So until, uh, until we absolutely have to, and I know, I, what, what does it mean you absolutely have to? When we have 17,000 people, we will do a second service. But <laughs> until then, we just worship together. I know a lot of you were away and had to be away, and... and uh, um, we're so we're, we're so glad you're back and you got to be with family. Isn't Easter great, you guys? It's great. It, it's great. There's hope. There's hope. There's hope for us. There's hope. So that's a different discussion for a different day. Okay. In the worship guide. So thanks for all the work you put into last week. Now, 
couple things coming up. And you're going to hear me talk about it a little bit in our message this morning, but you know, it's a responsibility of the church to assist you as you as you as you raise your kids in the knowledge and love of the Lord. We are here to assist you and encourage you. And part of that is we do a baby dedication, a couple our family dedication a couple times a year, and that's it's baby dedication. Basically, for Christian families when they have a child who don't believe a person saved by baptism, uh, we as a church a couple times a year we gather around them and we pray for them uh, that God will raise them in the knowledge and love of the Lord, and the parents will be intentional about that. Uh, we give them a gift, and then we as a church commit ourselves not to gossip, but to pray and to support, and uh, that's what family dedication is, and if you would like to be part of that, we're going to have one on May 12th, which is Mother's Day. You can talk to Alicia, and uh, we will make sure that you are a part of that, and that is a very sick prayer, committing ourselves to the Lord. That's a very important part of what we do, so please plan on uh, participating with that if you haven't. And uh, uh, there are, uh, having said that, uh, our job as, as a church is to disciple the next generation into the knowledge and love of the Lord as well, to assist you or to do it ourselves. If you don't, we will do our best. Uh, it doesn't always work, but we will. Um, having said that, we need you to pray because there's some stuff coming up that is pivotal in the life of our students' spiritual health over the next few months. You'll notice in the middle it says summer preteen camp, and those information is in there, as you know, for parents of preteeners. Uh, and so what happens is you read through that and you kind of go, oh, that's not for me, I don't have a preteener anymore. Well, yes, you do. You have dozens and dozens of them. You just don't know, you just don't have to pay for them to go to camp. You can pray for them. Um, remember the story of the, of, of the soils. Uh, it's the soil, the seed is planted. The question is whether the soil is ready. And I would ask as your pastor and, and, and as the elders are asking you, please be praying for the soil of the hearts of those in our church. Um, we, it, we can preach all day long, but unless the soil is prepared, um, unless the God takes the blinders off, uh, it's not fruitful. And uh, there's a lot of distractions today. So please be praying for our summer preteen camps. Uh, we, even, we even have children's camp this year. And, uh, boy, they really need prayer. You could probably not pray for the kids. Just pray for the staff. That's... Um, I'm, <laughs> I'm teasing. If you can spare another two seconds, pray for both. Um, and then uh, our senior recognition, uh, you'll notice that. That's coming up. Um, we are kicking them out of youth group. We have a group of seniors. We retire them, as Jeff says. And that's coming up on May 19th. So May is a busy month of dedicating our families, the new ministries, as well as those we've been serving, and we celebrate them on the 19th. Uh, but pray for them because this is, you know, there used to be baccalaureate service. Remember, remember all that? Baccalaureate means the beginning. Uh, we, because of culture and lots of other things that I can talk about at a different time, it's almost like we see high school graduation as the end. It, it, it's not. It's the end of the beginning. Um, this is when it really starts for real. And uh, Jeff and Mark and their team of 20-some adults have been pouring into the lives of these kids, and uh, we're going to celebrate them. And i got to be honest with you. Some of those kids are not walking with God. We're not walking with God. you got to pray for them. You know, it's, it's, it's not, um, it's not water, par water parties that save kids. It's not water balloons. It's not, hey. That's not what saves kids. What saves kids is their, their soil of their hearts is turned, and the seeds go in, and growth happens. And uh, we are instructed in Scripture to be praying. And I, I, Look, you know that we emphasize spiritual growth here, not spiritual birth, although this morning you're going to hear me talk about being born again, born from above. We've been talking about that. Jesus talks about that. But as far as gathering, our job 
is to make sure that we keep moving towards Jesus, becoming like Him. That's our job. That's why we're studying Jesus. What do you teach? That's what we do at Carpenter's Way. That is our unapologetic emphasis. So I want to encourage you to understand that there is spiritual warfare going on in the lives of our teens, and you know that. And, uh, and not everybody comes to youth group and walks with God. That's not how this works any more than y'all are walking with God. I know 99.9% .9 of you are like faithfully serving. But that one, <laughs> that was a joke. Okay, let's take a breath. Because I'm not mad. I'm not yelling. I just want you to understand that we are in the game. We are in the game. And this is a huge step. You know, many of these young people will not go to church next year. Pray for them to get involved wherever God takes them into a church where God uses to touch their heart and take them next level. That's just how this works. And you know it. And I, I know we're not supposed to talk about stuff like this, but pff, it's out there. So we might as well. Please look at this worship guide and you may be going, oh, I remember when my senior did this. Pray for these seniors. You're going to have a list in there uh, of their names soon. Uh, there's going to be a worship uh, insert that has pictures. And those are so, not just so the parents have something to remember them by, but so that we can pray for them. Uh, having said that, if you have a graduating senior, um, you need to have all your information in if, if you look at the date. Strict deadline is May 5th, so please get them into Jeff. Uh, so that we can put this stuff together. But um, that pretty much does it for the announcements. If you are visiting with us and you want to grow in your walk with God, you're welcome here. You are welcome. If you don't know Jesus, if you don't know him, if you don't even know if he's true and you want to investigate him, you are welcome here. If you're here to change us, you're not welcome here. Okay, I just, just want to be clear. We are into the Word of God. That's what we're doing. That's what we're going to continue. We are not here to be Baptists. We're not here to be Assemblies of God. We are here to be the children of God who are growing more and more like Him. And that's what we're going to continue to do. And we are so glad that you get a piece of it this morning. And our hope and our prayer, having had you here or have watched even once, is that you fall in love with Him. And, 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 and we think it'll be easy to like us if you fall in love with Him. <laughs> So thanks for being here. Okay, take a deep breath. We're done with that intense stuff, but we want you to pray. We want, we've got big stuff coming up over the next few weeks. So I'm going to ask at this time our ushers to come forward. Um, uh, as they do, you'll notice that there's an insert in here for hire a team. Um, if uh, that is to help the, our, our kids, our student ministry is going to Colorado this summer. It's a little more expensive of a trip, so, uh, and we don't have lots of scholarship money, so this is to help a kid make their way to camp. If you have some uh, lawn to be mowed or, or uh, leaves to be raked. They are not contractors, nor do they spray foam into your attic. I, I know that sometimes we get people who want kids to rebuild their extra bedroom, but they're not going to do a very good job. But uh, there are two things that happen here. Number one, you help them go to camp. And number two, you get to spend time with them. <gasps> Teenagers are awesome, aren't they? And they're not the church of tomorrow, they're the church of today. So spend time with them. Older women with young women, older men with younger men. That's what we do. Lord Jesus, we love you. We thank you for this task and this calling. We thank you that we get to gather together around your word and learn of you. We thank you that you haven't given up on us. We thank you for grace. Father, we pray for our children's ministry right now. As they, are, as they are going, uh, as some, the preschoolers are already loving on our kids, the preschool ministry people, uh, the shepherds. In a few moments, some of our older kids will go out and they'll be taught to at their level. Father, we're graduating some kids. Lord Jesus, we want them to know you. We want them to walk with you. We want them to know how good you are.
There are adults in this room, Father, and watching on the internet that are not walking with you. They're investigating. They're dabbling in Christ. May today be the day they jump in. I pray, Father, in a few moments as I open your word, that my words would be chosen carefully, that your Holy Spirit would be the one speaking through me, Father. I pray that the soil of the men and women who will be listening will be tilled properly. I pray, Father, that as we, as we give back our offerings, that's part of our worship, Lord. May we give out of worshipful hearts, thankful for all you've given to us first. We ask you, Father, to reign in this place, reign in our hearts. Make us like your son, Father. And the more we become like you, the more we'll fall in love with you. So we commit this next hour to you and ask you to bless us, to teach us, to focus our minds. And now as Chad and his team leads us in worship, may our hearts be lifted over what has been done, what is being done, and what will be done through the power of the Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name we pray.
Praise the Lord, all you nations. Praise him, all you people of the earth. For he loves us with unfailing love. The Lord's faithfulness endures forever. Praise the Lord.
Yeah. 
take a moment and pray before we jump in. I know your kids are going off to GPS. Let's uh, pray. Would you, uh, would you pray for yourself this morning? Pray that uh, God will hear, help you hear the message of Jesus clearly, concisely. Now I want you to pray for the person directly in front of you, whether you know their name or not. Pray for them, that they will hear the message of Jesus clearly and concisely. Father, if all we do is say some words, sing some songs, and go home, we haven't been changed. And as we're going to find out in this text, you do not want to leave us as we came to you. You want to change us. So I pray that you do just that. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Discovering who Jesus is or the message that Jesus preached, um, it's like solving a puzzle. Some people love puzzles. My daughter loves puzzles. She loves the hardest puzzles possible. I understand there's like a 5,000 or 10,000 piece puzzle out there that's one color. And some of you would love to do that and you're crazy. I mean, you are. You need a hobby. I, I, I know. I'm just kidding. Try TV, it's great. Um, the, the truth is to, to, to solve a puzzle, it takes tenacity, it takes patience, it takes time. And if you're going to do a really good puzzle, it takes thought and reflection and the willingness to go really beyond just doing a simple five-minute commitment to it, but days on end. And the truth is, so it is with Jesus. To really understand the puzzle and who Jesus is, not, not, not who we want him to be or who we wish he was or who we were taught growing up he was, but to actually find out for ourselves, to take the courage to look for ourselves as to who Jesus is, what he taught, what he was about, it takes tenacity, it takes patience, it takes time, thought, reflection, and the willingness to go beyond just what we read in Jesus' teachings, but actually to ask ourselves, why is he teaching this at this time and to whom he's teaching it? It, it, takes, it takes effort. It takes thought. And, um, well, we call that context. And that takes work. It, it takes real work. Uh, unfortunately, though, and I think, uh, look, I, I still see myself in many ways as a youth pastor, and I think one of the weaknesses of student children Youth ministry is we spoon-feed deep things to so many times to our kids, and all of a sudden they graduate and they're expected to understand it all. But we spoon-fed deep 
surrender calls. We, at times, turn the call of Jesus, which we're not even at yet. Jesus is going to continually call the guys that follow him. We call them disciples. He's going to continually call them to a deeper following of him. We're going to get into that more next week. Understand that when Jesus first meets the disciples, he tells them to come check him out. He tells them to come follow, come look what I teach, watch what I do, and decide for yourself if I'm the Messiah you're looking for. But starting next week, you're going to see him actually call them to give up everything. In the next couple weeks, it's going to be their fishing gear. Later, it's going to be their lives. Jesus is going to say to them and to us, if you want to be my follower, you're going to have to pick up your cross, put your selfish ideas, thoughts, and desires aside, and you're going to have to follow me. This is a message which is referred to often in church, most of the time at student camps, but we don't talk about it a lot as adults because Christianity today, and, and, and today's a tough message. I'm a little, um, you can tell, I'm a little more intense today because this is the truth. And the truth is hard to swallow because you're not told the truth very often anymore. Jesus Christ did not come to give you a better family. He did not come to fix your marriage. He did not come to make you a great parent. He came to save you from your sin. And in order to be saved from your sin, you have to start by acknowledging you're a sinner. And we now live in a time in a church where we don't, you know, I understand the general concept of sin and Jesus came to save us from sin. But this thing I do, this thing that I am, this thing I identify with, it is who I am. And I was made this way. And why would God need to redeem what he made? You could say that about any number of sins. You could say that about anything. And you could rationalize your sin. But the problem is that God doesn't judge based upon the understanding of the church. More on that in a few moments. It is incumbent upon us as a church. It is incumbent upon us as believers. It is incumbent upon you as a child of God to know God from his word. Because culture and time and prejudices change. And so too the message with it. The church continually tries to find ways to make this palatable, to make this sellable. Each culture has a different message. Each culture has a different wave of it. But if we leave the simple teachings and the self-identification of Jesus Christ and the message of Jesus Christ, we are not saving anybody from anything. And that's why we have to take the time to relook at who is this man. Because even the disciples who spend time with him when they see his miracles, ask him, ask each other, who is this guy we're following? Remember in the boat, when the storm is, ceases to, to storm because Jesus says, be still, they're all on top of each other in the back of the boat having fallen on each other and they start whispering, who is this man that even the wind and the sea obeys? The reason they asked the question was not because they didn't believe he was from God, but because they didn't understand how serious God was who he really was. It's been, under six, it's been just under six months since Jesus has been baptized, since the coronation of his ministry. In that time, he spent a month in the wilderness with the devil being tempted. He's turned water into wine at a wedding. He's gone to Jerusalem for a Passover and disrupted Passover sacrifice selection day by turning over the tables and confronting the marketeers and the religious leaders. He's boldly told Nicodemus that unless he's born from above or born again, he will not see the kingdom of God. How about that? This is the religious leader. I, I want again, 
I want you to understand, we all like Nicodemus. We believe he gets saved later. We like this guy. He's one of the good guys. He comes at night. We feel soft for him, but I want to remind you that when he comes to Jesus, he's coming on behalf of the, this group he refers to as we. Religious leaders are trying to make peace with this Jesus guy that they now believe because of his supernatural miracles that has been sent from God. And the leaders, the religious leaders of their day want to make peace with him. How can we, how can we meld your message of reformation, which wasn't his message, I'll get into that in a moment. How can we meld the message of the reformation of Jesus, the sent one from God, with Jewish tabernacle and temple worship? How do we do that? And Jesus cuts him off and he says, unless a man is born from above, dude, he will not see the kingdom of God. He slaps him in the face with that, face with that truth. In other words, you're not religious enough. There's not enough temple. There's not enough sacrifices. Unless a man is born from above, and remember that sets off this conversation. Well, how can a man go back in his mother's womb? And Jesus says, you're never going to understand it, but you must be born of the Spirit as well as the flesh. The truth is, there's a tough truth. He has that conversation with Nicodemus. He does miracles and created quite a following and now is actually baptizing more people than John the baptizer. And that now has become a problem for John's followers. How about that? How about followers of John who proclaim the Messiah's coming, not liking the Messiah? They're having a problem with him. And the religious leaders of their day, now they're hearing his message and, and, and realizing that he didn't come to fix them or to marry with them. He came, he came to offer a different salvation, a complete salvation. And that's a problem for them. John the baptizer gets arrested and the Pharisees begin to move against Jesus so he decides to leave the Jordan Valley which is where he's been doing all of this. Remember, he went to the Jordan Valley after he turns water into wine and after he spends time uh, in the area with, uh, with Jesus' family. Then they go to Jerusalem for Passover. That's the Judean Valley and they're there and they start to rise up against Jesus. So he leaves and he heads back to the region of Galilee which is his home region. Rather than taking the more politically acceptable uh, longer, uh, a longer route, Jesus actually walks directly through Samaritan country where he meets the woman at the well, the Samaritan woman, and he ministers to her. She ends up so moved by her interaction with Jesus that she runs into the town of Sychar, the, the Samaritan town that the disciples had to go, plugging their noses to get food for Jesus and the disciples. He goes into that village to tell them about some guy who actually is a prophetic teller who's told her all of her sin and may in fact be the Messiah. This is so impacting to the dog Samaritans, the, 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 the hated Samaritans, that this happens in verse 39 of John 4. Many Samaritans from the village believed in Jesus because the woman had said, he told me everything I ever did, verse 40. But when they came out to see him, they begged him to stay in their village. And to the chagrin of the disciples, he stayed for two days, them with him. Two days. Why did he stay two days? Look at the next line. Long enough for many more to hear the message and to believe. Amen. Jesus may have been of Jewish heritage, but he was not come merely to save Jews or the Jewish religion. And, and, and I, I know, I, I know that this is like, okay, fine, I'm, I'm Gentile, what do I care? Well, I want to make it clear that Jesus Christ is not an American. And he did not come to save our country. It is not God, guns, and country. It's God. You can have your guns, you can have your country, but never, ever, ever sell your soul to either one of those. You sell your soul to God. He is the only one that could save 
our fannies. He's the only one who promised to. And to be truthful with you, if you watch what's going on in Washington, D.C., he's the only one that wants to. I don't want to be too terribly cynical. I don't like to get political from the pulpit. I would be glad to engage you in private. But from the pulpit, I just want to say this. Washington, D.C., full of your favorite political party, will only rip you off with your favorite political animal icon. They don't care about you. They care about their power. That's how it is. And there may be a pure person or two up there, but there's a game being played that will not save our souls. Jesus Christ came to save sinners. Sinners. Samaritan sinners, Jewish sinners, American sinners, Cuban sinners, sinners growing up in the Middle East, ex-jihadists, sinners. And I, I want to say something about that because I want you to understand how wacko this was for this rabbi to spend time with a Samaritan woman. And uh, last time I said this, I got a letter from a group of vets telling me that I was not doing my duty as an American pastor. So let me double down on what offended you. We are not at war with the jihadists as the children of God. We are at war with the liar and the evil one. Jesus Christ came to save sinners even if they're wearing the ISIS t-shirt. And that is a death worth dying. Our brothers and sisters who died last Easter Sunday, blown up in Sri Lanka, did not die in vain. God was not sleeping or looking for Easter eggs last Sunday. He was protecting them and bringing them home. We not only will not lose, we cannot lose. Because our victor is, victory is not in us, it is in Jesus Christ. He is not here to save us any more than he was here to save the Jewish people. He's here to save people, all people. Because he loved the world so much that he sent his son to seek and save that is lost. And even his disciples struggled with this. They were certain that Jesus was their Messiah, that he was going to reform Judaism, return to the Jewish, the Jewish state to its former state of glory. But that's not why he came. He came to seek and save the lost. And, and these offensive, immoral, bad, doctrinally, uh, doctrinally, I don't know how else to say it, bred out of wedlock or out of God's blessing Samaritans, these people needed and wanted the truth, so Jesus stayed with them for two more days. He slept in their brothel just long enough for many more to hear the message and be saved. How cool is our God? I know many of you grew up in a clean home, in a Baptist home, or an Assemblies of God home, about 30% of our flock comes from that kind of background. Many more of you come from Baptists. Some of you didn't go to church. Some of you went to church of marijuana. You're just saved. The good news is he came to save sinners of all flavors and sizes. Some of you grew up in North Lovekin. Some of you grew up in Crown Colony. He can save you both. That's why he came. He came and he stayed long enough for many more to hear his message and believe. Jesus Christ, let me be clear, did not come to reform even Christianity. That's not his plan. He does not want God's church to rise up and be reformed. He came to save people who knew they needed saving, who are seeking forgiveness and God's salvation, no matter how offensive, immoral, or how bad their doctrine or breeding is. Let me say it again. 
Jesus Christ did not come to make Christianity great. He came to seek and save the most offensive, immoral, bad doctrinally, bred out of, out of wedlock or whatever it is, the most offensive, immoral, no matter what your breeding is, he came to save you. From Rivercrest to Brook Hollow, he came to save you. Listen again to the Samaritans who spent two days with Jesus. Verse 42, then they said to the woman, now we believe not just because of what you told us, but because we have heard him ourselves. Now we know that he indeed is the savior of the world. Do you remember two weeks ago when we were in this, her whole debate with him was, so are you representing the Jewish God in the temple or Mount Gerizim God of the Samaritans? They're proclaiming the truth. We now know that he came to save the world. It doesn't matter if it's Mount Gerizim or if it's, if it's the temple. It doesn't matter if it's Carpenter's Way Baptist or the Mormon church. Jesus Christ came to save sinners. There is hope for you, my friends. And for those of you watching on the internet, and I've been talking with you more lately than ever, I want you to know that the church never could save you. You may be running from her because she's judgmental. I just want to make it clear. She never could save you. She can't save you, but her Savior can save you. So accept him and come join us and make us better. Running from the truth, I am finding that eating deep fried foods, even if they're vegetables, don't make you healthy. They're still deep fried. The truth is the truth. The truth is the truth. There's no such thing as your truth and my truth. There's truth. And Jesus Christ came to proclaim the truth. A couple observations from these verses I just read you. Number one, Jesus came to save everyone and anyone who wants salvation and forgiveness from the judgment of their sin, because it's coming. Even if they offend the church or the Jews that have gotten off message thinking it's about the moral church or the Jewish state, Jesus Christ came to save you. Jesus came, as I've already said, to save the dirty, the nasty, the gross, the self-indulgent sinner. All you gotta do is want it. That's what's crazy about this. It doesn't make sense. Well, what do I got to do? Nothing. Accept it. Believe. Yes, you have to do something. You have to believe that he is capable and is willing. Repent of your sin and turn to Jesus. You do have to repent. We'll get into that more in a minute. Secondly, believers, your testimony, what God has done in your life, is the starting place of introdu introducing people to our sweet Jesus. This is why your walk with God is so so important. Your walk with God is the starting place. Let me tell you about the God who's helping me survive the political crisis of our day. People are asking all over the place, how can you sleep at night? How do you find hope? If your hope is found in God, you've got lots to talk about. If you're just as panicked as the world, you've got nothing to talk about. You're no different than the world. This, this is the problem with the church. Every time Washington, D.C. does something, we seem to freak out. Oh, no, like God's sleeping. Oh, no, what are we going to do? This gay marriage, what are we going to do? Well, we're going to live. We're going to meet Sunday, and we're going to worship, and we're going to sing songs, and we're going to celebrate. Seriously, 42, Chad? We're going to celebrate. We're going to laugh at each other. He's going to call me fat. I'm going to call him old. We're going to laugh at each other. We're going to go on the lake sometimes, and we're going to sit around, and we're going to listen to people tell stories of their life and enjoy each other and we're going to eat hamburgers and hot dogs and we're going to pray for each other when we get cancer and then we're going to go be with Jesus. That's what we're going to do. And we're going to take as many people with us as we can. You see what we do here on Sundays? 
Here, here's the secret thing. For some of uh, those who have been at Carpenter's Way and are watching on the internet or may be here, you get offended that I don't beg people to come to Jesus every week. Well, let me be clear. If I can convince 500 people in this room to go out and tell people that they can meet Jesus, I'm, I'm 500 times more effective than if they have to come in here. Go get them, you guys. Go get them. The thing is, though, he's got to be working in your life first. This woman went and told the town, not because God obligated her because she had been through EE or the faith message or the Romans road had been trained her. She couldn't help herself. She was freaking out, overwhelmingly blessed by a Jewish rabbi that would ask her to give him a drink. Let me introduce you to somebody who told me everything I ever did. Could he be the Messiah? And the town comes. The, the Samaritan said, now we believe, not just because you told us, but because we have heard him ourselves. Now we know that he is indeed the Savior of the world. So here's the real part. Once you're done telling people what Jesus has done for you, just point them to Jesus. Introduce them. It's not your job to save them. Your job is to tell them what God's done for you. That's the testimony. And then say, go get him. Well, how do I do that? Well, I can pray with you. I can pray for you. How about talking to him? You want me to pray? I, mean, I haven't prayed in 13 years. If I pray, my shirt will go on fire. Maybe, maybe, but I'll get a fire extinguisher and we'll figure it out together. Pray with people. It's not so serious. It's a joy. People want forgiveness. They want joy. They want hope. People are lacking hope. They get to choose where they find hope. They can find it in drugs. They can find it in, in adultery. They can find it in same-sex relationships. Or they can find it in Jesus. And only one of those will carry them into eternity with hope. And you've got that secret in your pocket. We've got that. So as you live, as you work, as you play, walk with Jesus. Tell people, all people, from offensive sinners whose pants are down to their ankles, to people whose cars jump, to people in Walmart wearing boots and no shirt and too short of shorts. Don't take pictures. Take them Jesus. It's what we do. It's why we're planted here. And in case you're not paying attention, I just went from every racial stereotype I could, from white people to every color. We've got to get over this thing. The truth is Jesus Christ came to save sinners, black sinners, white sinners, rich sinners, poor sinners, sinners in the ghetto, sinners in the rich part. Jesus Christ came to save sinners, of which Paul said he was the worst. Jesus Christ came to save sinners. That's why he spent two days in the Samaritan village, just long enough for more to hear the message and to believe. If you don't know Jesus today, today is the day of salvation. Amen. It's not the day to join Carpenter's Way. That can come later. It's not the day to become rich, healed of cancer. It's not the day for you to feel better about yourself. It's the day where you put all those bad feelings into him and let him take them from you. Jesus Christ did not come to complete you and make you beautiful or feel beautiful. Jesus Christ came to take your eyes off of yourself and put them on him. That, that was the problem with the Jews and the disciples. They thought he was coming, the Messiah, and maybe Jesus, to make them a better version of themselves. I, I've got news for you. Jesus Christ came and he told Nicodemus, unless a man is born again, Born from above, he won't see the kingdom of God. He didn't say, boy, there's a lot of problems in Judaism, and I'm going to here help you to fix them. He didn't come to fix them. He actually challenged them to destroy him, and in three days he'll build a new temple. That new temple was him, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. If you are drowning in sin, 
If you are the opposite of that song Chad just left us in and you are still bound with your chains, Jesus Christ will release you from those chains. You do not have to pay for your sins unless you want to. And that's your right. You have the right to pay for your own sins, but you don't have to. Jesus Christ already paid the price for your sins. Now you can reject him or you can accept him, but it's up to you. Why would anybody be so stupid as to pay for their own sins? It makes no sense. It makes no logical sense. Forget that I'm a pastor. Here, I'll take my coat off. We'll all feel better about it. Forget that I'm a pastor. <laughs> now I look like an FBI agent. Okay. I, I don't. I wish I looked like an FBI agent. Right, Jeff? Do I look like an FBI agent, Jeff? He does not. Anyway, I'm not going to do that because I look, I look like a Texas Ranger. I need one of those small hats. This is not about me. Why are you thinking about me right now? Listen, Jesus Christ came to save us. He came to save us. In 2019, Jesus Christ came to save us. Let that sink in. Why would you ever die in your sins? Luke 4, 14 tells us what happened next. After, after the Samaritan situation, Jesus returned to Galilee. Filled with the Holy Spirit's power, reports of him spread quickly through the whole region. He taught regularly in their synagogues and was praised by everyone. So from the Samaritan village of Sychar, Jesus leads the disciples back to Galilee, his home region, and he begins his, his public traveling preaching ministry. It tells us in this text that he preached in synagogues for a while. More on that later. He did miracles sometimes but not like we are often told. And he poured into his disciples' lives nonstop. And the people loved him so far. Verse 14 says something super important. Remember, we're putting puzzle pieces together, okay? This morning, we're not going to come up with one of these big, huge stories that you learned as a child. This is just Jesus traveling. He's heading home. He's starting his preaching ministry. And we're learning some clues, some of the pieces in the middle of the puzzle that have one color on them, but super important. And here's one of those pieces, verse 14. Then Jesus returned to Galilee, his home region. It's that second part, filled with the Holy Spirit's power. This isn't a, a Pentecostal charismatic statement. Filled uh, could have been translated as under the control of, under the guidance of. Remember what we've seen so far in our look at Jesus' life, okay? As we're building this puzzle, there are pieces filled in, and I've got to keep trying to remind you of those. I don't want you to forget that at Jesus' baptism, the Holy Spirit descended on him, and it said rested on him. We get the idea that the Holy Spirit just kind of floated down, and it was a dove, and he flew around, and he was part of the incident. What it actually is is a fulfillment of Isaiah, which says that the Holy Spirit would rest on the Messiah. It would, it would, it would overwhelm him. Jesus Christ was anointed at that moment, and this is a continuation of that. Remember that it was the Holy Spirit when he came up out of the baptism water that led him into the wilderness to be tempted by the evil one. The Holy Spirit led him. How crazy is that? And some of you have pointed out to me you'd never noticed that before. It's very significant that Jesus wasn't just wandering and making fires and cooking hot dogs out there in the wilderness, but he was led by the Holy Spirit to Lucifer to be tempted. And now Luke wants us to be clear that Jesus was under the control and the power of the Holy Spirit as he ministered. The bottom line is, what he is saying to us is that Jesus was under his direction, the Holy Spirit's control, and the empowerment of, of him. The God, 
the man, 100% God, 100% man, is being led, directed, and empowered by the Holy Spirit. Most of the time, we tend to concentrate on big moments in Jesus' life during his ministry and that, that preaches or teaches easily because we love application. We, we don't spend much time on the traveling verses, but we need to. There are many texts like this one where it just tells us about Jesus, his traveling, what he's preaching about, this part of his ministry, and that's the context that helps those other stories come into focus. These are important too. This is important. Jesus being the second member of the Trinity. Now follow, this is doctrinal, okay? Jesus, as the second member of the Trinity, submits himself willingness to the third member of the Trinity for direction, enlightenment, control, empowerment, so that the first member of the Trinity's will can be accomplished. In other words, Jesus, who is in fact the Trinity, submits himself to the Father's will according to Ephesians chapter 1 so that we might be saved, which was the Father's will, to make us adoptable. And the way he would do that was by being directed, empowered, and controlled by the Holy Spirit. That's kind of crazy. You want a really cool verse for the week after Easter? Look at this verse. Romans 8, 11. The Spirit of God, who by the way raised Jesus from the dead, lives in you. Take a breath. This is Paul writing to you, my Gentile Christian friends. He's writing to the Roman Christians. The Spirit of God, who by the way raised Jesus from the dead, that's the impetus of that phrase, lives within you. And just as God raised Christ Jesus from the dead, he will give life to your mortal bodies by the same Spirit living within you. So last week, we celebrated this almost unbelievable resurrection from the dead only to understand later that having been resurrected with Christ, the Holy Spirit didn't just do one work and leave. He actually lives within us as children of God. We are now the temple of the Holy Spirit. He lives within us, and the reason he does is to give life, the same life-raising power that raised Jesus gave life to our mortal bodies as well. We can now live under the power of God, under his Holy Spirit's power. When what we have seen so far in Jesus' life is that the Holy Spirit helped Jesus in his battle with temptation, direction for his life, the things that the Father had tasked him to do, all of those things are under the control and power of the Holy Spirit. And so it is with you. When you are tempted for control of your life, when you seek God's direction, when you are hurting, when you are afraid, when, when all of a sudden God opens the door for you to minister to somebody, he's not going, figure this one out, I hope you've been in church the last month. That's not what he's saying. In fact, we're gonna get to a point where Jesus says to the disciples, now I want you to go beyond the Jewish synagogues and I want you to go to the Gentiles and the disciples are freaked out and they're like, what are we gonna say? And Jesus says, don't worry, the Holy Spirit's gonna tell you what to say. And I'm here as your pastor to tell you, you don't have to have five classes in apologetics to know how to answer the lost. How about just leaning on the Holy Spirit? How about just praying quietly, God, give me the words to say to this guy or girl? What do I say? I'm glad you asked, son. What? what? Who was that? Holy Spirit's talking through you. You're gonna have, you will have, and if I, if I gave the microphone around, I, have, I assure you there'd be a dozen people in this room. There have been times in my walk with God where after I was done ministering to somebody, I walked away going, I am not that good. God showed up. We, we, look, look, I want you to understand that Satan is not going to work in the life of the church by showing up with horns, a red cape, and a, and a pitchfork. That ain't going to happen. And there's not going to be blood coming out of the walls of church buildings on Sundays. That's just not, that would be stupid, and he's too smart, okay? All of a sudden, the pastor isn't going to spin his head, he's not going to go around and go, Beelzebub, that's not going to happen. You know what he's going to do? 
He's going to relegate the third member of the Trinity to worship. Oh, being filled with the Holy Spirit, that means I've got to speak in tongues. No, it doesn't. All you've got to do is read Corinthians. Not every gift is for every person. He's not even asking you to speak in tongues. Some people get the gift of giving. Some people get the gift of faith. Some people get the gift of prayer. Lots of gifts. And tongues is one of those that some people get. So you believe in tongues? Wrong question for today's message. All I'm saying is this. You have the Holy Spirit, and he is working in you, or you don't have the Holy Spirit, and you're not saved. The, the fact is that Satan wants us to relegate the Holy Spirit to questions of in the Baptist circles or conservative circles to conviction for the sinner, and he wants us to reduce the ministry of the Holy Spirit to worship in the church that, that believes in, in the sign gifts. And the truth is, they're both wrong. The Holy Spirit is the one working in us, through us, empowering us, guiding us, directing us. He's the one who raised Jesus from the dead. He's the one transforming you from death to life. You don't need a preacher to make you feel guilty. You've got the Holy Spirit doing a fine job. You don't need any of that. So why go to church? To remind each other to concede power to the Holy Spirit on a regular daily basis. It has nothing to do with speaking in tongues. It has everything to do with who's in charge. You want to know why the church is anemic today? Now you know. Because we don't live like Jesus lived. Look at Romans 8, 11 again. Look at it. This says what it says. I'm not making it up. It's not out of context. Read all of Romans 8. It's actually the fact that God will never leave you nor forsake you because he loves you. Nothing can separate you from him. You remember that? That's the end of this chapter. It's all about God's love. It begins with, there's therefore now no condemnation for you who are in Christ. And he goes on to talk about Christ living. And this is how. The Spirit of God who raised Jesus from the dead, we know about that because we celebrated it last week, he actually lives in you. Well, what did the Holy Spirit do after he raised Jesus from the dead? He moved into people's lives. That's what he did, and he lives in you. And just as God raised Christ Jesus from the dead, he'll give life to your mortal bodies by the same Spirit living within you. Well, I don't see that. That's because you may be quenching him. You see, Jesus submitted to the Holy Spirit. He, he, he let him lead him. He, he listened. He prayed. I love cell phones, and boy, do I love television. I, I like all the technology. I, I do a lot. really do. I know that sounds weird for a pastor to say, but I'm a weird pastor. That was not that. <laughs> Be healed. <laughs> the, 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 fact, the, fact, the fact remains that we're so busy being busy and... and and even reading books on God and, and, and listening to music on God that we very rarely listen to God. Again, Satan is not going to show up with pitchforks and horns. He wants us debating theology that really doesn't matter. I'll give you a case in point, election versus free will. Are we going to change anything if we figured this out? Why are we debating it? Why are people leaving churches over it? Why do people hate each other over it? I, I don't know. I don't know the answer to that. The Bible says what it says. We move on. What does it say? Whosoever will may come, chosen before the foundation of the world. I don't have it figured out. Nobody has it figured out. Why are we wasting time arguing? Why do we go to a church that has vibrant worship and we go to another church because they don't have vibrant worship? Why do we argue over hymnals? I read an article this week in Christianity Today that talked about the reason, the things we lose in the church because we don't have hymnals. None of them have to do with God. None of them. And four of the five reasons weren't even accurate. We need the hymnals in our homes so that we have those hymns. Actually, I can get them on my phone right now. 30 seconds. I have, an app, Apple T, I have an Apple Music subscription. I told you I like technology. I can play any song that's ever been recorded on that in less than 30 seconds. 
The reason is because Satan wants us fighting. He, he doesn't show up with a pitchfork. He shows up with stupid stuff. He shows up with Republican flags, the, the elephant and, and the donkey. He, he shows up with that. We, we fight over things that have nothing to do with God. Why? Because that keeps us not focused on surrender. I was told here that when Obama became president, it's because the church didn't vote. And that's, that's not why Obama became president. It's not why he became president. Yes, if more people would have voted against him than voted for him, he wouldn't have become president. The reason he became president is because God had a plan. Amen. And by the way, I have plenty of verses to back that up with, even if it's uncomfortable. And for Trump, I don't know what to tell you about Trump. He's an accident. No, I'm, I'm kidding. Lighten up. Lighten up. I'm, I'm just trying to keep it. I, I, I was, what happened in my brain? I said something about Obama, and now I have to say something about Trump. Now we're all equal hating each other. Take a breath. God's got this. Did I get out of trouble, Julie, or did I make it worse? That's what I thought. Then, above everything else, the Spirit of God who raised Christ from the dead lives in you, and just as God raised Christ Jesus from the dead, He will give life to your mortal bodies by the same Spirit living within you. Within you? How cool is that? So after leaving the Samaritan village, I know you're going, well, does he ever actually leave? Yes. Jesus arrives in Galilee, and guess where the Holy Spirit leads him first? Matthew 4, 13 to 17. He went first to Nazareth, and then from there, he left there and moved to Capernaum beside the Sea of Galilee in the region of Zebulun and Naphtali. This fulfilled what God said through the prophet Isaiah, in the land of Zebulun and Naphtali, beside the sea, beyond the Jordan River, in the Galilee where so many Gentiles live. The people who sat in darkness have seen a great light. And for those who lived in the land where death cast its shadow, a light has shined. From then on, Jesus began to preach. Okay, so remember, this is one of those transitional passages. It's just telling us how he got from Judea to Galilee and what he did when he got there. And this is the important part. What did he preach? Repent of your sins and turn to God, for the kingdom of heaven is near. Take a breath, because I'm about to offend some of you. Because somebody posted this week, it's traveling around the internet, and I, you should not make me your friend on Facebook unless you want me to read it. I am a stalker by definition. Somebody posted this week that we need to be more like Jesus in our approach to people that are living in sinful states. And that means non-judgmental. That's what the point of the article was. That ain't that guy. Now, I understand. He wasn't standing on the street corner screaming people down. But can we put verse 17 up there, Louise, please? It's so hard to, to do her job when I'm preaching because I jump all over. But I, I want you to look at what he preached. Repent of your sins. Now, take a breath. We now jump over that because we, we want Jesus to be loving and kind and equal to everybody, and he is. He ministered to the woman at the well, but I want to remind you that at the well, he said, hey, why don't you go get your husband? He set her up. She said, I'm not married. He goes, you're sure not. <laughs> you are sure not. You've been married five times, and the guy you're living with isn't your husband. That's pretty intense, okay? And the word repent here, this is a generalization of what Jesus was teaching. The word repent means turn from your sins. Jesus constantly was calling people out on their sins. Now, in light of the church's attitude with which they call out people's sins today, I'm in agreement we need to shut up. But the truth is, we do nobody any favors if we undermine their sinful state. What, what, what for instance, the homosexual community, the LGBTQ community wants from us today, isn't just acceptance, it's adoration or even, hmm, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, endorsement. 
They want us to say, not only can God save you and will he accept you and transform you, they want us to say, he doesn't need to transform you. You're good as you are. Let me be clear. Nobody's good as they are. Nobody. That's the point of salvation. That's why we need saving. Jesus said in John, uh, in, in John 3 that he, came, he was sent by the Father. Um, I'll read this to you in a minute. I'm, I'm, I'm kind of jumbling this up. Don't put it up there yet. But it's the, John 7, 3, 17 that, you, that I quote a lot. He didn't come to condemn the world. That's because 18 through 20 tells us that the world is already condemned. That's what people have to understand. We're not here to condemn you. Jesus didn't come to condemn you. He came to save you from a condemnation state you were already born into. It doesn't matter if you're gay or straight or an adulterer or a Baptist or Lutheran or Methodist or Mormon or a Satan worshiper. You are under condemnation and Jesus Christ came to save you. That's why he said repent. Repent means turn from your sin. It's a religious word today. It wasn't back then. It just means identify your position as a sinner and say, I don't want to do that anymore. It's not worth it. What comes because of my state is a problem. Jesus didn't come to save gays. He didn't come to save straight people. He didn't come to save whatever. He came to save all of us. And I want to remind you that you don't become a sinner because you sin. You will sin because you're a sinner. That's the problem. People think, people think, and it's taught in the church, that because of what you do, you are in trouble with God. I want to make it clear. You're not in trouble with God because of what you do or have done. You're in trouble with God because of what you are. It is, our, it is a new creation in Christ we become. That's why we have to be born again. We are saved out of death into life. Does that make sense? Do you remember your grandmother teaching you that? So here I am, Preacher Wilkie, who's a guy of grace. And I heard a lot of that when I came to Carpenter's Way. Man, you love grace. I do. I do love grace. Well, the pendulum has swung so much that we're so gracious, people don't even repent anymore. That's a mistake. The pendulum is swinging. Brothers and sisters, there's something you need to be saved from. And that is your nature. Jesus Christ came to save Jew and Gentile and Samaritan, Samaritan, fill in the gap, gay or straight, Roman homosexual guard to whatever, fill in the gap, people having sex with their animals, and it did happen out there in the fields. Sorry I brought it up. Why do you have to bring it up? Because it's in the Bible. He came to save all of them, no matter how heinous, no matter how wicked. Remember the thief on the cross next to Jesus who mocked him for a while and then said, man, you really, this, this, why are you mocking this guy? Jesus said, today you'll be with me in paradise. He came to save a thief on the cross while he's dying. Jesus Christ did not come to keep you as you are. You're not good enough as you are. I'm sorry. Julie and I have been talking about this. I think the women are going to do a book study this summer. This, this idea in the church that you're beautiful as you are is a satanic lie. You are the masterpiece of God. That's talking about the new creation. He's recreated you anew to accomplish his task. What's effective for the kingdom is not better preaching or better stage, whatever. We, we like Chad's talents, but I got news for you, and Chad will tell you this. It's not his music that reaches anybody for Jesus. It's the Holy Spirit through the music. It's not creative preaching. It's not more money poured. It's not giving cars away. It's not Easter eggs. It's Jesus. When did we start? And, and the message of the gospel, I, I, last, I, I enjoyed so much Good Friday. It was very special to me this year. Our service here was meaningful and alive. We had a bigger group than we've had before. And then I left here and I went to Dallas to, to be at my son's church's Good Friday service, which was very different. They, we were out in a park in downtown Dallas with about 10,000 people. And the music was rocking. It was great. It's what they do at Fellowship Church. And there's this there's this old East Texas Baptist pastor in the middle with his suit on because I had left here. And then, you know, Ed, Ed, uh, Ed Jr. got up there to preach, and he preached the gospel. He talked about proximity. 
that sin has separated us from God and God made it possible for us to be brought back together through Jesus Christ. Sin and depravity. He talked about sin and depravity has separated us. God wants to bring you close. It was such a good message. My heart was lifted because that's the message. It's, it's not about gay or straight or morals. It's not about morals. Church, it's not about morals. We're all immoral. I'm not immoral. Have you ever lied on, lied on your taxes? You're a liar. Have you ever told somebody that their hair looked good when you knew it didn't? You're a liar. Well, that's not nice. Have you ever seen an ugly baby and told the mom how beautiful it was? You're a liar. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you for laughing. But you're laughing because you've seen ugly babies, and I'm only one of three people in this church to admit it. <laughs> that's a baby. It was a hard birth, wasn't it? <laughs> Just kidding. <laughs> Thank you for laughing. <laughs> Did I go too far with that, Julie? Okay. We can laugh because we're all in trouble. We're all in the same boat, and some of you right now are going, yeah, but a little white lie isn't really a sin, is it? Yes, of course it is. Your existence is sinful. My existence is sinful. That's the problem. What if a baby is born and never sins? Have you ever heard a tantrum at 3 o'clock in the morning? That's selfishness. Well, they don't know. Are you kidding me? That sounds like people today who go, look, I'm just inclined towards loving women. Lots and lots of women. God made me this way. He'll accept me as I am. No, he won't. That's the problem is who you are. And by the way, I just changed that because I don't want to offend my gay brothers and sisters. I, I don't care that you're gay. I grew up in California. My first job, I was working in a coffee shop, and the two homosexuals next door protected me from some guys who were going to rob me one time. They were very nice, good people. I don't resent them any more than I resent fat people in East Texas. But they still need to be saved. So I have to stop being gay? You have to stop being everything. If Baptist is your Savior, you need to stop being Baptist. If Catholic is your Savior, stop being Catholic. If your parents are your Savior, stop, stop leaning on them. Man up. Jesus is your Savior. If worship is your Savior, you better stop. Anything that's, that distracts you from God. Do you know what I read? Uh, and, and I have a confession to make. Since we're being honest, I'm behind in our, in our annual reading, and that's why I haven't posted anything. And several people are asking me questions about today's text. I actually got one last night. I must confess, I will catch up and answer your question. But you know what I learned as I'm reading through the Old Testament? Do you know that they took the staff that Moses made with the serpent on it and began to worship it? How stupid is that? They worshiped the staff. They gave it a false god name. Now you know what I think about Catholic icons. The crucifix, little pieces of the cross, the nail, the foreskin of Jesus in 1,400 churches in England or Europe the crown of thorns that they claim was almost burned up in, you know, in Paris. I, I don't care about any of that. <gasps> Why don't you care? Because if people are worshiping that, it is an idol. This is the answer. Not the things that he, the dirt that he touched or the blood that he shed. I, 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 I'm being careful here. I, I need to be more careful. The blood cleanses us from sin, right? But it's him. Be careful. Not the faith and message. Not your tongues experience him Jesus Christ who came to save sinners who followed the leading of the Holy Spirit 
John 3.16, real quick. I'm going to move very quickly now to the end because time's up. For God so loved the world, for God loved the world so much that he gave his one and only son so that everyone who believes in him won't have the bad stuff. That is what it says. We like the first four, three lines, but the truth is won't perish. Without Jesus, you will perish. Luke 19.10. For the Son of Man came to seek and save that which, those which are lost or who are lost. Without Jesus, you're lost. We don't like to concentrate on that today in our culture, but those are true. To be clear, without Jesus, people are lost. Without Jesus, people are condemned. Without Jesus, people will perish and go to hell. Every man and woman who ever bo- was ever born needs to repent to be saved, and that's why Jesus came. Fact. Jesus truly only came to save people from their sins and offer them eternal life. You, you know what? I'm, I'm going to finish. I've, I've said pretty much what needs to be said. It's Jesus. This was his message. And you're one of two people groups here this morning. One is that you're still searching for the truth of Jesus, and you have never bowed the knee to him. Don't get stuck in the journey. Many have died trying to figure out what truth is. At some point, there's enough information out there, and I can give you a hundred more verses that explain these things, and I would be very glad to if you'd like. But at some point, you need to decide for yourself whether or not you want Jesus to pay for your sin or you want to pay for them yourself. That is your right. I give, and I respect your right to choose a, to walk away. But there is no halfway Christian. That's not found in Scripture. I beg of you today to seek his forgiveness. The fact is, though, most people only want what they want, and salvation from condemnation is not on their priority list. And I'm afraid to tell you that the church has added to that. Jesus Christ did not come to make you well. He came to make you whole. And even if he heals you from cancer today, you will still die of something at some point. You cannot outlive the human condition because of sin. You can only be redeemed from it. Call on the name of the Lord and you will be saved. That is a promise from God. The second group, child of God. 1 John 2, 6. 1 John 2, 6. We're almost there. I know, I know I'm messing this up, Louise. You're going to have to jump down some. There we go. Awkward, long pause. Are you looking at the verse? Don't look at me. Look at the verse. Would you have stayed in Samaria for two days? Would you have told the woman, I know you're not married? You've been married five times. Look, I don't judge you for that, but it is a symptom, a fruit of your condition, and I'm here to tell you that Jesus Christ came to save you from your condition. I I don't even want to guilt you into this, but I have a simple question. When was the last time you actually shared Christ with anybody? Some of the verses I skipped today, one of them says the first place he went, actually I think I read this, is he started in Nazareth. When was the last time, men, you had a serious conversation with your children, whether you're married or not still? about Jesus Christ. When was the last time you told your kids no simply because that's not what children of God do? And I was there when you prayed. Well, they won't like that. Remember I said that they like Jesus so far? It's going to change. When was the last time you told somebody about salvation 
from condemnation, about repentance? When was the last time? I'm not saying you have to take a, a drill bit and put it in their forehead. When was the last time you prayed for an opportunity to share Christ with somebody? When was the last time you prayed for your child or your wife or your husband or even prayed for a person that you know is lost? When was the last time the boss you resent and don't like was on your Need Jesus card? Those who say they live in God should live their lives as Jesus did. When was the last time you were at Walmart when one of the boot-wearing, too tight, short, no shirt, and I'm talking about the guys, dropped something in the aisle and you bent over and picked it up and said, I hope you have a great day. <laughs> no, I'm not going to do that. What will they think? You're a freak or a Christian. They're kind of the same. When was the last time you got bad service at Applebee's? Don't stop the question now. When was the last time you got bad service at Applebee's and you actually blessed the waitress because of it? When was the last time you saw somebody hurting in the church and you walked over and said, can I just pray for you right now? They're going to say, I mean, when I do it, it's like, yes, pastor, thank you. But when you do it, it's like, whoa, I must look really bad. A five-second prayer, a three-second prayer. Dear Lord, Lydia looks like she's having a rough day. Maybe she's not, but I pray you'll bless her. Dear Lord, Mark is writing ravenous things about political things on the Internet. That's not his character. He's being a jerk. Would you talk to him today and tell him to delete those? It's a good prayer. Dear Lord, our president has very thin skin. Would you break his tweeter? <laughs> Dear Lord, I don't want to give 94% of my taxes away to a crazy guy from up north, a Yankee. I can say that now. I've been here 13 years. Would you make sure the best man is president or woman? When was the last time you prayed for the salvation of Nancy Pelosi? Oh. <laughs> yeah, that's funny, preacher. Anyway, back to the message. When was the last time you prayed for his pa your pastor? When was the last time you prayed for yourself? outside of sickness or when was the last time you said today is yours let me be like Jesus under the control direction and power of the Holy Spirit instead of debating whether tongues is part of your day I assure you if he wants you to speak in tongues you're gonna speak in tongues and if you don't it's because he didn't want you to but you have to that's a lie if you would like to debate with me about that I will give you a half hour to make your case and then I'll take you to one verse and I'll show you what the Bible says about it. And then we can end our conversation. Because at the end of the day, okay, this is an Apple iPad. Inside of it is a Bible. The little yellow stuff, <laughs> that's the truth. Not the big white stuff. That's the truth. You get it? Jesus leaves. Judea and he heads over to Galilee and he preaches, repent of your sins or your souls can be saved. <laughs> Why us? And now, he's giving it to you. Go get him, people. Lord Jesus, send us out with the power and compassion and fervency of the Holy Spirit, directed and guided and led 
And may our eyes be firmly fixed on the back of Jesus' head. Holy Spirit, control us. In Jesus' name, amen. If you don't know Jesus today, I would love to introduce you. Me and a couple other people will be up here after. Be courageous. Come up and ask us. We'd love to tell you. Bible study is going to start in about five minutes.